Hello, and welcome to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host for today, Emma Sandler, beauty and wellness editor. Joining me today is Sarah Koch, Senior Vice President and General Manager of Kendo Brands, overseeing multiple brands. Today, we'll do a deep dive into one of my favorites, Ulla Henriksen. The brand was founded in 1983 by Ulla Henriksen himself, a Danish esthetician who developed a philosophy of products that exfoliate, treat, and soothe the skin. Sarah, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Emma. Where are you calling in from today? Okay, well, I'm in California, but we took a little weekend trip to Tahoe, so I'm huddled in a cabin talking to you about my favorite brand in the world, Ulla Henriksen. (laughs) Well, thank you for managing to find some time for us. I'm jealous. I've never been to Tahoe. Gotta come. It's a lot of fun. (laughs) So, like I mentioned, Ulla Henriksen has been around since 1983, but the Kendo relationship is actually more recent. Can you just sort of give us an overview of how the brand has evolved since the Kendo acquisition? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Kendo's entire reason for being is essentially to build brands around incredible founders, you know, people who we believe have a unique point of view, a breakthrough sort of take on beauty, whether that's skincare or makeup. And, you know, Ula's a bit interesting in the portfolio because obviously when Kendo acquired it in 2011, the brand was already in existence, as as you said. Uh, But for us, you know, it really met all those requirements uh, that we think about when we want to build a brand. It had this amazing founder, Ula himself, who at the time had built a very famous and successful spa in Beverly Hills, treating movie stars, He was asked to create a namesake line, which he did. And the products were, you know, phenomenal. You know, Ula was sort of a pioneer in using ingredients like vitamin C, acids. And also what I think is is funny, this way he articulated sort of the end result that you get when you exfoliate and replenish your skin, when you use his products was the glow. And at now, obviously that's table stakes. Everyone refers to the glow. But Ula... Uh, what he called the Ula Glow was sort of, you know, one of the first people to really talk about that, um, what you can get when you really take care of your skin. So look, there was this jewel that we knew had this cult following and that if we could tell that brand story to as many people as possible, we knew we had something really special on our hands. So, you know, really what Kendo did is take a really heavy hand in marketing um, and really bring the brand to where it is today. And the Ula Glow is real. I have met him on desk sides and I forget how old he is, but his skin is immaculate. 72. It's insane. He's never had anything done. Never. Yeah, like I was right then and there convinced about the exfoliate, treat, and soothe philosophy for sure. Absolutely. (laughs) No, it's, um, you know, it's a really simple routine and this idea that if you do a couple of things really consistently, you can really get your skin to this incredible place. Yeah, absolutely. Something that's taken place across a couple of Kendo brands, um, including Ula Henriksen, is that they were Sephora exclusive until you know, uh, an Ulta Beauty expansion. We saw that with KVD and Fenty and then Ulla Henriksen. This happened in January. Tell us more. What's the reasoning behind this? Look, Sephora is, I mean, they're incredible brand builders. You know, I worked there for a long time. 
I know so many people there. The merchants are best in class as far as, you know, really advising you, helping you uh, to, to build a brand that stands out, that cuts through. They're amazing too, as you sort of grow up, as you evolve. But I think what a lot of brands find, and you know what Ula did specifically, is that at a certain point, you know, it is important to scale from a distribution standpoint. And there's financial reasons for that. And there's also consumer acquisition reasons behind that. And, you know, for Ula specifically, expanding to Ulta is never about hurting or diminishing the Sephora business. To me, if that happens, then we have failed. You know, it's really about building an incremental consumer base. And then, of course, you know, for me, success looks like growing the total U.S. business and then being able to reinvest back into it in a more meaningful way because you have more volume and more marketing dollars. And, you know, it's the idea that, you know, all ships rise. In the case of like that customer acquisition sentiment that you mentioned, I mean, what does Ulta Beauty offer that, you know, helps strengthen or expand the Ulla Henriksen customer base? Yeah, look, I mean, I think a lot of it is the fact where they are. You know, they have such a strong business in the Midwest, in Texas, um, in certain places that, you know, they have a different real estate strategy than a Sephora. And so I think naturally they attract a different consumer. And, you know, what's fascinating is, look, like we haven't seen a huge hit to our Sephora business, to which to me indicates that we are talking to an entirely net new consumer that maybe just wasn't shopping at Sephora. And that is so exciting to us. Speaking of like new customers, you know, we've seen a recent Gen Z love affair with brands like Drunk Elephant and, you know, the anti-aging category as a whole. In the case of Ulla Henriksen, because of the philosophy that we keep mentioning uh, of how products are used and what they do to treat the skin, you know, how much are you kind of paying attention to the Gen Z client or do you regard them actually as too young for the brand? It's a great question. I, I just don't think they can be ignored. They're so powerful right now. You know, they are driving huge commercial volumes, you know, whether it's Drunk Elephant with Katie Fang, um, whether it's Summer Fridays with the lip balms. Look, for me, I believe that consumers more knowledgeable at a younger age than we've ever seen. And, you know, with that comes this idea that they want to try, they want to experiment. Do I think all ULA products are appropriate for young skin? No, I just don't think they need that efficacious product. But do I think some products are great for young skin? Absolutely. And I think it's, you know, the onus is really on, you know, the consumer and the parents to understand, you know, what is appropriate and what's not. But for me, it's like this young consumer is so important because eventually I want her to think highly of our brand. I want her to be interested by it so that when she's ready to level up, when she gets 30, turns 30 and finds her first wrinkle, that Ula is something top of mind for her. And so, you know, what's really exciting right now for me when I think about this young consumer and when I think about the Ula Henriksen brand, our Pout Preserve Lip Treatment. Emma, have you tried it? I have not. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it is literally, in my humble opinion, the best lip product out there. Okay. You know, right now, lip is absolutely on fire. Oh my God, yes. Rose, Summer Fridays, Laneige, all of it. I mean, it's a massive, massive business that has largely been driven by this sort of younger consumer base, at least, and sort of lighting that on fire. 
And we're a part of that conversation. We just launched our new shades. I mean, it's it's everywhere on social right now. And it's so exciting. And you get these 12-year-olds saying, you know, this is my favorite lip product. And I feel really excited about that because I feel like that's an absolutely appropriate product for someone that age to be using. And it familiarizes her with the brand so that when she is ready and her skin's ready um, for more efficacious products, that, you know, Ula is top of mind. So going off of the success of lip care, I mean, what are the product and category opportunities for Ula Henriks and the brand? I know just had its first retinol products, which I'm actually rather surprised by, um, and already offers body care. We already talked about lip care and, and much more. So like, what else is there to do and offer? You know, retinol was a space, obviously, we had never played in before. And it was really because our founder, Ula, just wasn't comfortable using that ingredient. He felt like it was irritating. You know, frankly, he had seen more success with acids and chemical exfoliants than he had seen with retinol. But our chemist, Riva, who I think is one of the most incredible chemists in the business right now, found, you know, a double retinoid that was able to be combined with, you know, really nourishing Scandinavian botanicals with a ton of aloe vera that really balanced um, the experience and essentially the clinicals that we got against this was just amazing because not only did you get sort of those gold standards of anti-aging that you get from retinols that simply it just it can't be replicated by other ingredients because retinol is so efficacious but they were balanced by these soothing replenishing ingredients so that when you use this product you didn't get that stripping. You didn't get that irritation. We actually found that it was building your moisture barrier, increasing hydration. And so it's really this unique experience, at least for me, um, who's used, you know, OTC retinols essentially for the last seven, eight years. I have completely abandoned those and switched to this because I feel like it's a retinol that doesn't act like a retinol. It feels like a serum, a hydrating serum, but you get those amazing, amazing retinol results. You get that like bright, clear skin, that instant reduction for me, at least almost instantaneous of fine lines and wrinkles. And then it's just continued to sort of honestly make my skin look better than it has in a really long time. So retinol, very exciting. It's obviously the first time we've played as you so um, astutely mentioned. And then other categories. Look, one of the reasons I love skincare so much is because I feel like even though you may be playing, you know, in a sort of a smaller sandbox in the sense of facial skincare, at least for Ula, there's still so much innovation and way to evolve. A, a moisturizer, a serum, a toner, a cleanser. And so I'm more excited and interested in, in continuing to evolve and innovate within facial skincare rather than going sort of, you know, wide and going into multiple categories, I love this idea about being the best of the best when it comes to facial skincare, lip care, and body. And so I'm not really excited to, to play anywhere else because I'm so excited by the continuous innovation of what you can do in this, in this category. So we shouldn't be expecting any scalp care in that case. No scalp care from Ula, but look, never say never, Emma, but <laughs> I, that is not in the product roadmap for today. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of, in a way, nice to hear because, like, everyone's launching it. And I do understand, and I certainly benefit from some of those products. But there's also something to be said about, you know, okay, what is our point of view? What's our expertise? How do we earn that permission to 
play in that space. And, you know, keeping a tight assortment, I, I, I value that. I honor that. And one of the things that I thought was really, you know, cool that we did as a brand is Banana Bright Eye Cream. You know, that was sort of in 2017 when we launched that. It was the start of, you know, this, I would say the heyday for, for Ula. You know, we really grew at a rapid pace uh, because that product was so powerful. It became sort of iconic for the brand, strong client acquisition. Um, you know, 25% of people enter our brand using that product. And we were winning. I mean, I would say in pretty much every retailer was the number one eye cream, you know, around the world. It's big, big, big. But for me, it's like, okay, how do we continue to win? And in skincare, you have to continue to innovate. And so our chemist, Riva, who I talked about, said, look, there's new vitamin Cs that are coming out that are more stable. They're more effective. I found this incredible one, gold vitamin C. They bind the vitamin C to gold. It makes it absorb into your skin quicker. It makes it more stable and it essentially makes it more effective. I want to upgrade, you know, our winning banana bright eye and make it even better. And I think, you know, I, that's something I really love and respect about the way we think about product. It's like, not just because you have a winning product, do you not touch it? How do we always make this better? How do we always infuse, you know, the best technology into, into what we're doing for our consumer? And, and it worked, you know, it's, better than it was and it's growing, which I think, you know, when you have these long-standing category heroes, you know, it's hard to win year after year after year, especially when there's so many, you know, new entries into the space and it's as saturated as, as you and I both know it is. Yeah. And speaking of that, I mean, how does innovating upon existing products or, you know, continuing to look at innovation within the facial skincare space, how much does that contribute to maintaining brand relevance today? And like, how else does Ula Henriks and the brand try to, you know, find and reaffirm that relevance? Yeah. I mean, look, that's, it's the million dollar question. And you know, it's interesting because we're part of LVMH, as you know, I'm sure. And, you know, LVMH is this company that has brands that have been around for literal centuries. And as someone who leads beauty brands and got maybe the most saturated time in, in history for beauty, you realize just how hard that is to do. To have a brand, you know, this brand specifically is 40 years old. You know, we had our 40-year anniversary last year. And what it takes to be true to who you are at your core as a brand, but then to your point, to continue to evolve with that consumer so that you're relevant to where he or she is, you know, in their lives. And I would say that, you know, it's twofold to your point. Part of it is the products that you're developing, you know, being relevant to what, what is hot, what they're looking for. But then at the same time, it's like balancing that with a really strong sense of who you are as a brand. You know, for me, I'm going to say, I thought lip was such a good example of that for Ula. Because look, the category is hot. So to me, you're in a hot category. Okay, that's important to be relevant. But how do you cut through? Because there's so many other lip products. I mean, God, you look at, you know, Trend Mood, which I'm sure you follow. There's a new lip product launching literally daily. So what makes Ula's product special? Why do we think we have a right to play and win in this category? Well, we're going to make the best lip product out there. We're going to make the most efficacious lip product out there. We're going to put clinical results behind our lip product. We're going to show you that you can get clinically fuller lips 
And then sort of the Ula magic and what I think we do so well is we marry this experience and results. And so it's not only are we going to get the clinicals, not only are we going to put peptides in this, we're going to make this a treatment, but we're also going to make this the juiciest, sexiest lip balm out there as well. It smells good. It feels good. It's not sticky. It gives you this beautiful sheen. And so that's why I think we've been able to, to make a difference in this category because we were also really authentic to what we do and what we stand for. You know, another interesting example, I think, of just, you know, sort of the journey that this brand has been through and, and having to consistently evolve with the consumer is, you know, in 2017, I talked to you, we had launched Banana Bright Eye Cream. You know, we had this resurgence. Kendo had sort of relaunched the brand. And a lot of what we were you know, leaning into was this idea of accessible prestige skincare. You know, we're the brand that when you're ready to graduate from maybe mass um, into Sephora, start here. We can help you. We have products that are efficacious, but they're accessible. And we had a lot of success that way. Pandemic happened. People were inside. They weren't buying makeup and they were actually becoming sort of skincare experts, super savvy on ingredients, And all of a sudden, we found that the way that we were communicating to our consumer, sort of oversimplifying these incredible uh, formulas that we had, it wasn't relevant to her. That's, or him, you know, that's not how they wanted to be spoken to. Tell us what's in these bottles. Convince us. Tell us what makes it so special. And so we really had to quickly pivot in the way that we were sort of communicating so that we were relevant to where the consumer was because they had totally evolved over the you know time from 21 to 23. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with the rest of our conversation. What did some of that pivoting look like and where are you looking to kind of hedge your bets moving forward in terms of maintaining that relevancy and what consumers want? So I think, you know, I always go back to crystallizing and reinforcing what sets your brand apart, what makes it unique. And for us, it's really sort of three pillars, efficacious products, so the goop works, Scandinavian heritage, so the fact that we have these sort of unique Scandinavian botanicals in every single one of our products, this idea of Scandi wellness, which is so embedded with our brand, but we weren't really bringing that forward in a, in a compelling way. And then the third, which I think is, you know, sort of the interesting tension in our brand is that joyfulness and um, that playfulness. And that comes to life in, in our creative. It comes to life in the colors of our, our, of our packaging. And then, of course, that, that's born from Ula and that idea that, you know, joyfulness is a part of wellness and is so, you know, critical in skincare. And it comes to, and it comes to life as well in the experience. We believe that experience should not have to be sacrificed for efficaciousness and efficaciousness should not have to be sacrificed for experience. And so, you know, our tagline is joy and results in every bottle, clinical Scandinavian skincare. And for me, it's, it's just bringing that to life from a marketing point of view and a product development point of view. And so from a marketing, you know, last year, you know, we really sort of solidified those those pillars in the way our brand came to life. Essentially, every touch point was sort of evolved. You know, our creative went through an overhaul. Our visual merchandising in store went through an overhaul. Our marketing partners, you know, we really 
Um, we brought in Anita Bing. She's become sort of our Scandinavian wellness expert. Uh, we've worked with new sort of big names who love our brand and with this idea of um, really sort of getting that story out to a new generation of consumers. So in that case, like, what does 2024 look like? Look, I, I think it's, we're just getting better at what we were doing in 23. And so for 24, we've been working with Alex Earl, which has been super, super exciting. And for me, it's, you know, she's hot. She's gone through her own sort of skincare journey herself, so which feels really authentic, just considering that that's sort of the reason that Ula got into skincare, because he also suffered um, from problematic sort of acneic skin. And so I love bringing sort of these new voices in to really amplify what Ula's about. We have Anina um, coming in as well uh, to actually, at this point, co-collaborate on creating product with us, which I think will be super, super cool. Um, and then what I'm probably most excited about is we're expanding our Banana Bright franchise with probably the most requested product that we've ever had as a brand. Um, I'll let you sort of uh, guess what that could be, but it's going to be massive. And for me, it's sort of this launch that brings everything together. It brings that Scandinavian heritage in. It brings that efficaciousness and it brings um, that joyful sort of glow into one product and I think it's going to be potentially game-changing for the brand. If I guess correctly, will you tell me? <laughs> I, I'm scared what will happen if I do from um, <laughs> from Rachel, who runs marketing. But um, I could maybe nod on screen, and then and then and then you know. Sure. Yes, I'm. I'm <laughs> guessing that it is a moisturizer. Could be. Could be. Okay, you heard it people first. Here, people, asked, it could be. They, yes. <laughs> They want Banana Bright Moy Eye for all over their face. And, and we've heard the people. Yeah. Well, with that, I mean, a lot of beauty executives are focused right now on not only capturing existing demand, but also generating new demand for products. What are your thoughts on this? And where are the opportunities to actually generate new demand? Yeah. I mean, I, I think... The Ulta expansion is, is one way to do that. New distribution. If you really think you can capture a new client through that distribution, I think is one way. You know, for me, it's when we get people to try this brand, they become loyalists. That I know. And so this idea with Ulta to be able to speak to a new consumer, get them into an Ula routine, that to me is creating new demand. Because what happens is those people go and tell their sisters and their boyfriends and their friends. And then that's a way of creating new demand. Another way is, you know, going after this next generation. And so you kind of talked about that. And for me, you know, the pout preserve sort of phenomenon that we're seeing happen literally within the last two weeks since we've launched these shade extensions is another way of sort of creating new demand, getting a new audience into the brand who may have not been familiar with Ula. But now it's like, oh, this lip product. Okay, I can buy a $22 lip product. Okay, what else does this brand have to offer? So, you know, it's, it's, it's distribution, it's marketing, and new demand is critical. It's, that's what's going to keep this brand around for another 40 years. And so, you know, it's, it's driving those new audiences without sacrificing, you know, your core as a brand. In the case of generating new demand through additional distribution, can we expect to see more retail expansions with Ulla Henriksen? You know, right now there's nothing, you know, in the horizon. I, 
I feel like it's super important to be where the consumer is. And so I listen to them when we make these decisions. You know, Ula was the number three most requested brand at, at Ulta, excuse me. So I knew that the consumer was there and they were hungry for this brand. So it made a lot of sense. But from here, you know, I really want to honestly sort of fine tune the new normal for this brand in the U.S., which is, of course, you know, just being distributed outside of Sephora and really figure out how to make Sephora thrive and make Ulta thrive. And that's that's what we're focused on right now. So with being where the customer is, I feel like all customers or all brands or everyone who's anyone is on TikTok shop these days. Is Ula Henriksen on TikTok shop? What are your thoughts? Ula is not on TikTok shop right now. You know, we're looking at it. I think that the reality is it had a huge boom. And then my perception is they're doing some fine tuning to make sure that it's, you know, a seamless experience for the consumer. And my take on it is if you weren't first, let's work out the kinks and then let's go when we feel like it is going to be and add value for the consumer, which I'm not sure it necessarily is right this second. That's sort of my take on it. Well, elaborate on that. What is the fine-tuning that you're wanting to see? Or or what are you looking at to ensure that Ula Henriksen would play well in a TikTok shop environment? My understanding, and again, I'm not a hundred percent expert on this, so I don't I don't want to present as one, but You know, Kendo's looking at it holistically for the portfolio. And what I've been told is that there's some privacy issues that we need to just make sure our consumers protected when they're buying through TikTok shop. And that, you know, when they buy an Ula product, I want to be able to make sure that they're happy with that. And with Sephora and Ulta, I feel incredibly confident that their customer service that consumer is going to have a great experience. If they buy on Ula.com, I feel incredibly confident that they have the problem with the product. They have a question about the product. We can serve them. We don't feel that way on TikTok shop yet. And that's because, you know, when you buy it, you, you buy it through TikTok. And that's a little bit more complicated. And so my understanding is that, you know, we're just working through some of those details before we're ready to go. Yeah, yeah, of course. And I've certainly, as a consumer, have seen the way some people have responded, because even if a person tags a product, it will say, you know, like in partnership with or or something like that. And people either misconstrue and think that it's a paid partnership, or some people just feel like they're now being bombarded by ads all the time, even if it's not really the intention. So I think there's a lot there that you have to think about and how the brand shows up in that space too. Yeah, it's totally. And it's just, it's so interesting. It's like, oh gosh, TikTok shop, that's so exciting. And then everyone feels like, oh, TikTok shop, it's so annoying. So it's just, you know, it's interesting the way that, you know, some of these trends that feel so important in the moment and then sort of how they, how they pan out. And then, you know, what we go, what we do from here. Yes. Like who's even launching NFTs anymore? (laughs) It's a good one. (laughs) Exactly. So switching gears a little bit, um, I, my understanding is that Ula Henriksen is launching a campaign called This Is My 37. And I would love if you could tell us more about this. So This Is My 37 is essentially this idea of owning your age. 
And it was launched in conjunction with a retinol, which of course is, you know, I think pretty well associated with anti-aging. And, you know, there's of course been a lot of backlash on on the idea of anti-aging and that you should be comfortable in your own skin and let's celebrate aging. And yeah, and we'll I call think it pro-aging or pro something aging, like that. Pro-aging, exactly. Yeah. It's, just like, <laughs> it's like, it's still anti-aging, guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, you know, where I, what I take away from this campaign or is this idea that you can own your age, but you can still want to have the skin of your 20s, even though you might want to be back in your 20s, if that makes sense. Um, you know, we, uh, we're talking about, you know, that skin that you had when you were 25, but God, I, I would, I have no desire. I don't know if you feel this way about being 25 again. Like, oh, none. definitely not. No, but God, like I would die for that bouncy, firm skin that I barely had to moisturize. Um, so that's what it's about. It, it's, it, it's about, a you know, embracing where you are in life, but still being able to, to look back and, and, and be, you know, somewhat missing that younger skin and that's okay. And that, you know, it's okay to want to look younger. And that's what Ula is here to do. It's, it's to be your best version of whatever 37 or put in 40 for myself, whatever that looks like for you. With 37, is there like a significance as to why the team picked that? You're just like, this feels no, like the right number. No, I think it's just, you know, 37 is sort of this idea of time when a lot of people and Durham sort of recommend starting to get more serious about, you know, your your anti-aging routine. Um, 37 was in a lot of people on our team sort of talked about starting to use sort of more hardcore ingredients like a retinol um, and sort of that's where it came from. But it's really symbolic of, you know, enter whatever age you are. Broadly speaking, for skincare, what's really exciting to you right now? What are the things that you're paying attention to, watching out for, um, and anything that, you know, applies to Ula Henriksen as a brand? Mm, that's a really good question. I mean, I'm a, I'm a lover of tools. I love facials. I love spas. I love high-tech tools. I love the fact that they've become so much more accessible. I love an LED light. Um, I love an LED wand. I think that that's been a really interesting space, you know, especially as, um, you know, I'm someone who wants to look younger, but really hold off on sort of any sort of invasive, you know, things as long as physically possible. And I feel like with um, some of these new technologies, it's becoming more and more sort of possible to do that. I'm really excited by some of the physical sort of facials that are coming up right now. I think it's what's super interesting is facial acupuncture, you know, sort of more natural ways to get that that lift that I think we're all sort of looking for 40 on. So I think that's super fun and interesting. Uh, what else? What else? I think that, um, look, you know, when it comes to like, formulas out there, I can't say there's, you know, products that like I am running out to get, to be totally honest. I think there's a lot of the same. Um, I think that what excites me too about, about Ula is this idea of constantly pushing these ingredients that we know really work because it's, you know, it's so interesting in skincare. It's like, we're still talking about vitamin C. 
we're still talking about hyaluronic acid. We're still talking about retinol. And it's really sort of these core ingredients that have become sort of the gold standard because they really work. And then how do you continue to innovate with those ingredients? And I think that ULA does a really, really good job with that. You're going to see that with this new launch that we have this fall. But yeah, I think that's that that to me is what's really exciting me out there right now. Yeah, absolutely. And the fall launch, you're referring to that Banana Bright expansion, correct? Which, of course, has vitamin C in it um, and is just sort of a new, fresh take on on the ingredient. And that that excites me. Yeah, absolutely. Sarah, it has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I loved having this conversation. Emma, I could talk to you for hours. Oh, likewise, likewise. Thank you so much. And thank you everyone for tuning in. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Glossy Beauty Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help us out. And of course, visit glossy.co slash beauty for even more coverage of the beauty industry. Sarah's Brooke Finer will be hosting next week. Bye.